All right, you can take your Bibles to Hebrews uh, chapter 10. Thank you all for the music this evening. That was a blessing. And thank you all for being here since Pastor announced that I'd be preaching this morning. So you always consider that a little something special when people come anyway. Uh, we're going to start in a familiar passage. Someone has asked me earlier if I was settled on my message for tonight, and, and I wasn't. Uh, this is, I'm usually thinking, I, you know, kind of a, a few messages in the back of my mind, more or less at all times, and then God sort of starts to put some flesh on the skeleton, so to speak, and uh, if you were going to ask, well, what group of people in Winchester, Kentucky most need to hear this message, pretty much everyone in here would probably be at the bottom of the, of the list uh, in the sense that we're going to talk a little bit about church, and probably the people who are in church on a Sunday night are those who are already the most educated and sensitive to it, but that's kind of how the Christian life goes, right? We all come, we hear about our crucified Lord, we talk about salvation, uh, which in some sense the world out there needs more than we do, but that doesn't mean that we quit talking about it. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, of course, verse 25 is a, a well-worn verse amongst most Christians about not forsaking the assembling of, our, of ourselves together, but uh, actually that's the end of a sentence. If you back up uh, in your Bible to verse 23, you see the start of that sentence. Um, somebody said once, well, it starts with a capital letter. That's how I know it's a sentence. I said, well, uh, the verse in the Bible, for in most Bibles, all start with capital letters. And you got to pay a little more attention to the punctuation to know where the sentences are. But uh, Hebrews 10, verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And then you get that little, nowadays people probably think that's a little wink emoji at the end, but that's a, a semicolon and then a closed parenthesis. And the sentence goes on, verse 24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to gather again together tonight with your people and, Lord, in your presence and with your words. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts tonight. pray that you'd encourage your people, that, uh, Lord, you'd instruct us in your will and in your way. And, Father, help us to live lives that are pleasing unto you. And, Lord, if there'd be any in our midst that do not know you, May this evening be their day of salvation. We thank you for loving us, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, I'm, I'm calling this some assembly required. Some assembly required. And I do mean it as somewhat of a double and tender, as you might think, uh, because there's the action of assembly, and then there's the, the noun, if you will, or the thing of, that is assembled. And I think both of those apply to the church, to God's people. Um, the word church is, is found 114 times in the Bible. Well, church or churches, plural, together, 114 times, all in the New Testament, as you may well imagine. 
Now, a few of those references are referencing a church in the Old Testament, but that's where they're found. The, the dictionary defines church as a building used for public Christian worship, a particular Christian organization, typically one with its own clergy, buildings, and doctrines. Uh, the hierarchy of the church, especially the Roman Catholic Church or the Church of England, institutionalized religion as any political or social force. So that's the, the dictionary definition. Not particularly helpful. There's some stuff in there that you probably would have guessed anyway. Uh, we sometimes even use the word church in our everyday speak as an activity, as church as a verb, if you will, where the Bible never uses the word church that way. We say we're having church, doing church, those types of things. There's nothing wrong with that. But in the Bible, what constitutes a church, for one thing? Uh, you think about, you know, most of us know that the church is the body. It's, it's the people. It's not the building. Um, although the church is a building, and we'll, we'll get to that if time allows. But what parts of the church could you leave out, for example, and it still be church? I mean, I think they're just fun questions to ask, if nothing else. We, we sometimes, you know, the old saying that familiarity breeds contempt. And maybe it's not contempt in this case, but we can use words so often, especially when they're Bible words and important Bible words, and they start to maybe lose their meaning or they take on a meaning that is other than what the Bible uses it as. And then if we're not careful, we start reading our meaning back into the Bible. And we definitely need to be cognizant of that. Just like when you drive, you need to be cognizant of your blind spots, right? And when we study God's word, we need as much as humanly possible anyway to be cognizant of blind spots. I find myself doing it. In fact, I was just mentioning it to Melinda the other night where I, I caught it as I was reading through. And I said, you know what? I've been assuming this verse means this for I don't know how long, because I was taught that's what it meant by somebody, and I'd never stop to compare Scripture with Scripture and see if it's even right. Now, take your Bible to Ephesians. We'll just look at a few different places here. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5. What is the church? It's used many times in the Bible. It's used at least a few different ways. And we won't look at much, these for very long, but Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 29, here it's talking about marriage in a sense and husbands loving their wives. In verse 29, for no man uh, ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Now, he says in verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, that passage gets used a lot in you know, marriage counseling and seminars and so forth, and rightly so, because it's telling us some important things. But Paul ends all of that instruction on the house and, and uh, husband and wife relations, and he says, now, this is a mystery, but I'm likening this to the church. So there's this sense in which the church is, is like a marriage, or we might think of it as the church universal, the church which is the body of Christ, as illustrated there. Um, while you're there in uh, Ephesians, you can go back to uh, the beginning of, the, of that passage, or excuse me, the beginning of the book. 
And in verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Uh, Flip back to the beginning of the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians in chapter 1. Similar, he says in verse 2, And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches, plural, of Galatia. And you find this over and over, particularly in the, in the Pauline epistles, where Paul seems to be addressing a church in a city. Now, it could be, at least in some cases, that it's a specific church in that city. But it also seems to be that he addresses the body as a whole as the believer's in that area, the church, we might say, in Winchester. Now, we might think we're the only church in Winchester, perhaps, but the church in Colossae, the church in Galatia, or churches, as we read here, in Galatia. And you go over to Romans chapter 16, flip over there, or back there, I should say. What is he talking about with the church? Romans chapter 16. Paul says in verse 1 of Romans 16, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Centria. Verse 4, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Verse 5, likewise, greet the church that is in their house. So now we have the idea of of a house church. Right? We've, we've heard those before. Verse 10, salute uh, Apelles, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of uh, uh, Aristobulus's, excuse me, household. And here again, we see, which is often, often repeated, that it's likened to not only a person's house, but a household. A household. Uh, verse 14, uh, he salutes the brethren there again. Uh, and them which are with them, verse 15, uh, Philologus and Julia, Noresis and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints which are with them. Verse 16, salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. So we have this church universal. We have churches that are local. We have individual bodies, some of which apparently are meeting in houses. We have groups of brethren that are together, and he's, he uses this familial language throughout to reference them. In Acts 7.38, he talks about uh, the, the children of Israel coming out of bondage, and he talks about the church in the wilderness. You say, well, Brad, that's not a New Testament church. Well, maybe it's not, but the Bible called it a church in the wilderness. Now, you're, many of you are probably familiar that the, the Greek word that we get church from is ekklesia, which means this called out assembly, which I don't say that because it's necessarily important. You understand the, the Greek word, but it fits very nicely with the word church, which is from old English brought into German. And, and now we use it today, which really just means the Lord's house, the Lord's, the Lord's people. And that's a pretty simple and nicely encompassing definition. It's about those that belong to God, used in several different ways. Uh, In Hosea 11, we read, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. There we have that idea of the called out ones. In Acts 15, 14, Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. 
Here we have that call out again. And 1 Peter 2.9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we see it repeated, this idea of the church. It's the called out who are God's people. And they assemble together. Uh, You know, sometimes we hear about house churches and those have a, a certain stigma, I guess, associated to them oftentimes. I remember the first time as I was sort of cutting my teeth in, in Baptist church and trying to grow in the Lord as a young man who hadn't been saved all that long and heard about the first few families that had sort of left church and were starting to do church at home. And that was, you know, heavily frowned upon. We were basically given the idea that, well, you know, they're backslidden and they don't want to be under authority and so forth. And that may be the case. I have no idea in the, in the, case of the families that I'm thinking of or had experience with, but I start to wonder nowadays if it isn't people who are seeking to honor God in pure worship and they're wanting to leave what they feel is a church that is completely backslidden. And I have a certain amount of sympathy, you might say, towards that. We're full of, in this day of what some have now labeled churchianity. We have people that want to do church and they want to do it under the guise of Christ but you could hardly resemble what they do if you're at all familiar with the Bible. They're about leadership seminars and how to win lots of, you know, build a big church, win people, influence them, and so forth. And they followed all the world's ways. They look like the world. They act like the world. They're organized like the world in almost every sense. The money flows the way the world thinks they should handle it and so on and so forth. It's more churchianity than Christianity. We have a a church in our area. Some of you would would definitely know its name if I mentioned it. They advertise as its church the way it used to be. Now, I don't know what they mean by used to be. Does that mean the way it was in 1950 or 1500s? I get the impression they mean it's church the way the apostles did it with Jesus, and I, I would definitely doubt that that's actually the case. I mean, no harm to them. They can, you know, spin it however they like, but you get into this Bible and you start reading about how the early church did church, quote unquote, and it often resembles very little about how modern church functions. And we need to be careful about that. What is it, what is church about anyway? Well, there's at least three, I think, primary ways that the church is presented in the scriptures. And number one is it's presented as a family, as a family. I think it's probably the strongest uh, illustration in scripture as to what the church is. Um, I say, you know, some assembly required. God's people throughout history have been marked by a love for one another, and really a longing to be and assemble together. Absolutely. Now, obviously, we have the last few years, the whole COVID nonsense that's happened. And I think, you know, we were in a big cloud as to what was going on initially. And thankfully, you know, our pastor and others uh, had some clarity on that sooner than later and uh, got us back together again as it should be. But there's still people today. I just read China, I think, has just locked down another 250 million of their citizens. Can't even leave their house. Their groceries have to be delivered. 
because of their, you know, zero COVID policy. And your heart goes out to these people. There's no doubt believers among those 250 people. We've seen it over and over. And, well, why do we need to assemble? Why, isn't that even, why is that even important? I mean, we'd have live streaming now. Does that mean we don't have to get together anymore? Well, now there are people, just like I talked to Pastor Gary in Haiti, and he's thankful that he can live stream because he's got people that he's teaching the Bible to, and that's really the only way he can safely get around or, or help them. Well, use the tools where you can use them. But throughout history, and frankly, even today, you've read letters from some of our missionaries in China, for example. People are going against governmental authority, breaking the law, taking risks, as Christians have done throughout history, meeting in catacombs, meeting in homes, at risk of their own life just so they could gather together with like-minded believers. It's that important, apparently. And, you know, it's interesting that there is no command in the New Testament to go to church. Now, the verse that we started with in Hebrews 10 that we're all familiar with, granted, you could say that there is a principle there that we shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves, but as important as it is, it's glaringly absent from the scriptures. There's nothing saying, go to church. Why is that? Well, this is just my opinion, but I think probably the reason that that is the case is because there doesn't need to be a commandment to go to church. God's people have gathered since God had people. And they've always wanted to gather and be together. And this idea of family is throughout the scriptures, a few verses, Psalm 68, 6 says, God set at the solitary in families. God doesn't intend for any of us to be alone. Now, our human families are sometimes broken and people are alone in that sense, but God has an answer to that. God has a family that he will place you in and that you become a part of. And our churches are made up of those. John 13, 35, by all men, excuse me, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If they see your car, pull out of the driveway on Sunday morning. Now, your neighbors may assume that you go to church because they see your car pull out of the driveway on Sunday morning. But that's not why the Bible says they'll know that you're disciples of Christ. Maybe it's, you think, because, you know, you don't tell dirty jokes at work or... You wear a suit. I mean, those are all things that Christians may be known for, but that's not how the Bible says we are known as his people. We're known as his disciples because we have love one to another. That's family. That's family. 1 John 3, 14 says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. That's pretty strong language. That's pretty strong language. But that's the language that describes God's people, his church, his called out ones as a family. A family. Jesus talked about our heavenly father. We call each other brothers and sisters in Christ. There's much home language that is involved in his church. His church, not only a family, but also a temple. In Acts 7.38, he talks about our fathers who received lively oracles. Now he's talking about the, the Old Testament law being given. And Peter said in, in 1 Peter 1.3, uh, by his mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope 
by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he said in 1 Peter 2, 5, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. So you say, oh, the building is, the church isn't the building. Well, the church is the building in a sense, just not this building. But the Bible calls us lively stones, not just a pile of rocks, right? Lively, just like these, these scriptures from God were lively, just like your hope in Jesus Christ is lively. He says, you're a stone, you're part of the building of God, but you're a lively stone, you're a living stone. And his house grows that way. But you know what? It isn't just a pile of rocks. Some assembly is required. Some organization is required for God's house. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. In verse 19, Ephesians 2. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. There's that family language again. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the spirit. Now, the church isn't the building. Well, it is this building. It's a spiritual building called the temple of God. And it's where God meets with his people and we make that up. That's the church. So the church is not only security and acceptance as family and its worship as a temple, but the church is also a body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Turn there. 1 Corinthians 12. In verse 12, the Bible says, For as the body is one, hath many members, and all the members are that one body, being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So we're likened unto a body, a body that has parts. And the Bible goes on to talk about how these parts are all required and some are not more important than the others even though we might tend to think that sometimes. It seems like somebody, some parts are more important. But it's a family, it's a temple, it's a body. And the body needs to function. The body, all the parts have to come together, right? There's some assembly that is required. David said, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. That was, he was speaking about his physical body. And God's church, his people, his body requires some things as well. If you go to verse uh, 25 of that same chapter there, 1 Corinthians 12, he says that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Schism. If you go back to the beginning of this book, that's where Paul was talking about, you know, I, I hear that some of you are saying you're, you're of Apollos and some of Gaius, some of Cephas, some of Paul. Paul says that's, that's not how it's supposed to be. There's not supposed to be schisms like that. Now, how would that be that much different than, well, I'm of Luther, I'm of Wesley, I'm of Calvin. Now, we've come to a point, you know, the old illustration about you put the frog in room temperature water and slowly heat it up right till he boils to death. Uh, I look at it as we've all been born in the hot water. <laughs> 
it's been boiling since before we ever even came on the scene, unfortunately. And, you know, you can't stuff that genie back in the bottle, as they say. But Paul said there shouldn't be schisms in the body. There shouldn't be these difficulties. You know, we want to keep pure doctrine. But it is interesting throughout history how God's people have gathered and what they found important, maybe even at different times. I mean, if you think about the fact that really from about 500 to 1500 AD, the only institutional church was the Roman Catholic Church. If you talked about going to church during that period, you were attending a Catholic service, most likely. Now, you had the the Huguenots and the Waldensians and these other groups that were meeting, many of them for fear of their own life. Why? Because they were trying to gather together with like-minded believers who just wanted to hear from God, from the scriptures, and comfort and encourage one another. They were a family who created a temple when they gathered and worshiped God together and were the body of Christ. Go over to Mark chapter 7. God loves his church. And it's easy to see, I think, where people get disappointed and get discouraged. In Mark 7, Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees, of course, as is often the case, because they have the wrong idea about what's important. They ask him in verse 5, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Mark 7, verse 6, And he answered and said unto them, Well, hath Isaiah Isaiah's prophesied of you hypocrites. He's quoting from Isaiah 29. As it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. Just laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the traditions of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, full well ye reject the commandment of God that ye may keep your own tradition. I think people see this in spades over and over, and I'm using the word church loosely at this point. And that's part of what sends them scattering. It's part of why we see so much church hopping, I think, today as well. Now, I'm not trying to say that that's okay. I'm just saying that I understand the the disappointment that people see oftentimes when what they're told about church doesn't match up or say we're following the Bible but we get the emphasis put in the wrong place sometimes. You say, well, that's just those ugly Pharisees. We don't do anything like that. Hmm? Better check up. Better check up. We certainly wouldn't put emphasis on any of our traditions. Might check that with the word of God. You might be surprised what things you hold as incredibly important that you would consider someone else um, anathema for not following that may not actually be found in the word of God and yet dismiss other things. Sometimes in the very same passage, sometimes you're reading a portion, it's not even a complete sentence and you focused on one thing God said to the exclusion of something else he said. And now you've made your tradition the focal point and rejected the command of God. 
Rejecting part of his commandments is not okay just because we're following some other ones. But when it comes to the, those that are just constantly hopping around trying to find the perfect church, I think of the verse in Amos where it talks about a man who's you know, running away from a lion only to, to meet a bear. I think that's the trouble you can find yourself in. Go to Ma- uh, Matthew, Malachi, back just a little bit, chapter 3. Th- this is nothing new to us or to our time, frankly. And if you know anything about the book of Malachi, you know it's, it's all about the corruption amongst God's people, of God saying one thing and his people saying, or the people, saying something else. It's about corrupt priests and the people despising the sacrifices. And you, th- you think, as I read it, I'm like, They despise the sacrifice. Well, if you despise it and you're not even paying attention to what God says, why are you even attending? It'd be like coming to church today and saying, well, I don't like church. And I don't believe anything about what they do is right. And I don't want this. And I don't want that. And I'm not going to follow this preacher. And I don't want to have to give money. And over and over, why are you even here? It makes me wonder about them, certainly. But what I do find interesting is amongst all this corruption and despising of the sacrifices, a verse that, I think really we need to take heart as God's people, as his church. In Malachi chapter 3, in verse 16, actually go back a verse, go back actually two to verse 14. This is the idea here. He's, Ye have said, this is God talking, it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinances and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the proud happy. Whoop, warning. <laughs> that applies to today. We call the proud happy, and the Bible never talks about pride in a good light. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. That's today's newspaper. Yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. It's all upside down and backwards, but look at verse 16. Then they that feared the Lord, that's that called out assembly we're talking about, spake often one to another. And it wasn't over Zoom or Teams or FaceTime or anything else. How do you think they got together in this corrupt society? They assembled. They spake often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it. And I love this. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Church, some assembly is required. Because while it may or may not feel quite as bad to us today as what we read about in Malachi, this is God's people throughout history. And they find ways to get together. Those that love the Lord, who fear him, whose heart is right before him. We're pilgrims and sojourners. And there's something in the people of God that just needs to get together with like-minded believers and talk about the God that we love the God that saved us and to provoke one another as, as Hebrews 10 tells us to love and good works. The church, the church in some special way represents the presence of Jesus Christ. Didn't he say where two or three are gathered together? There am I in the midst. And I think that's twofold as well. I don't think it necessarily just means that if you have two or three, then Jesus is a, you know, a third or fourth person. What he's saying is this is my family. My body, the temple, 
If you've got more than one of you, I'm there because you're there. We take that temple with us. The church has special power in prayer. Now, we should all be praying individually, and you should be talking to God regularly. But there's something about corporate prayer that the Bible makes special. It says if two or three agree as touching anything, right? Saying there's something about that. I want to know if I want to pray in the Lord's will. And when I'm with my brothers and sisters and we're of the same mind about God's will, there's something God takes note of when that happens. We saw it in Malachi. God was impressed enough that when he saw his people gather together who thought on his name and talked with one another about him, he said, I want a book of remembrance written about that. Now, obviously, it's not because God doesn't have a good memory, but he wrote a book about it. The church is where we worship God corporately. It's also where we hear the prophetic voice of God. Now, the canon of scripture is, is closed, I believe. But Amos tells us that the Lord will do nothing except he reveal it to his prophets. And there is the, the idea of a prophet in the New Testament. And I think that when the man of God gets up and preaches from the word of God, as long as he's, what he's saying isn't against God's word and, and you have it to check, there's something about that that we need to avail ourselves of. God wants to say something to us. And there's just the general nurture of God's people gathering together to encourage and provoke one another into good works. Like I said, this was really not the message God had laid on my heart all week, but for whatever reason, he changed my mind on this in the last day or so. Just impressed upon my heart. Maybe it's things that I've been hearing in the news. Maybe it's just in talking with other people. You know, this world around us just gets us down. And sometimes church becomes this just sort of generic word. Well, I'm going to church or we met at the church and we've watered down such a precious topic, maybe unknowingly. But the church is those that have been called out of this world, called out of darkness into light. We're God's people. We're a family, a temple, a spiritual building of living stones where we worship God and encourage one another. And that's my message to you tonight. I hope it's been an encouragement to you. Uh, Maybe even thought about a few things that you haven't thought of in a while with regard to the church. And uh, Lord bless you. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us, uh, for giving us family in some cases where we even had none, for giving us this book that guides us, Father, for giving us light in a a dark world, for a hope of heaven, for brothers and sisters in Christ that can come alongside. You didn't intend for any of us to walk alone. And Lord, you certainly walk with us and you give us uh, others that, Lord, we can encourage and speak of you about. Uh, Lord, we love you and we want to serve you. And you tell us in multiple ways that we serve you by serving others. We can't even give a cup of cold water in your name, but that we're doing it unto you. And I pray that we would see our family in that way. Lord, that your church would be encouraged and strengthened. We thank you for it. I pray your blessings upon your people, Lord, and each one that's here tonight and for their kind attention. I ask you bless them in Jesus' name.